Fifteen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.org, an open discussion of God's communication to mankind. Our broadcast is being recorded live and will be made available for viewing in the future if you'd like to share it with others. You can also find these recordings on BibleQuest.org, also available on Facebook and YouTube. And, you know, we really want to invite everyone in the audience to join in on the conversation. So uh, ask your questions, make your comments. Uh, anyone new to the show, the way, the way you do that is you click on the Q&A button near the top of the screen and ask, text in your questions anytime during the show. But make sure you're using the Q&A window and not the chat window. We monitor the Q&A window. Um, our panelists are Scott Smeltzer from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. How are you doing, Scott? Doing fine. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. Stephen Rouse, also from Gettysburg. Hi, Stephen. Welcome, everybody. And Jeff Smeltzer from Exton, Pennsylvania. Jeff, good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see everyone. <clears throat> and I'm Drew DeGrado, your host from Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Okay, so let's get into our topic today. We're talking about pressing on and forgetting the past. Scott, you want to open that up? Philippians chapter 3, Paul said, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Context for this. Uh, Drew, you want to take us through the context there real quick? I'm sorry here, but you're going to have to take it because I just got some technical things I'm taking care of. I might okay, sure, sure. That. The context begins with a warning about the Judaizers, Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You know, before we go on from there, Scott, it might be good to explain what a Judaizer is real quickly. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, in the first century, you had Jews becoming Christians, and then you had other Jews who did not. And so there was pressure exerted upon the Jews who were becoming believers in Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, well, to, to have, excuse me, I, I need to bring in the Gentiles here. The Gentiles were becoming Christians, and there was pressure on the Jewish believers to pressure the Gentiles to conform to Jewish law and be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Otherwise, the problem that you had was Jewish believers associated with Gentile Christians and then getting persecuted from the Jewish unbelievers. So the Judaizers were telling the Gentiles, you have to keep the law, you have to be circumcised. And that's uh, a warrant. You, you see that problem in Antioch of uh, Syria. You see it in the book of Galatians. And here to the Philippians, it hasn't apparently been a big problem there, but Paul is giving this warning. And so then he stops to say, you know, and one of the things that are important to them, he said, if that's where I want to put my focus, he could compete with them on those Jewish things in his life as a Pharisee. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of Benjamin, 
a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the law, as to righteousness, excuse me, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So Paul is essentially saying, I'm as good a Jew as anybody. And if anybody can claim, can boast about their adherence to the law, I could do it. Yeah, his Jewish and Pharisee credentials are way up there. And that's what he, no longer the thing for him. Now, I count it as a loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Or as the New American Standard has, I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And that's the context that leads us up to this. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what are some of the things that Paul is forgetting here? Well, he has a lot to forget. His previous life as a persecutor of the church, and I can't imagine what that would mean for him after he obeyed the gospel and had to face the families of those who he had helped commit to prison and would have probably ended up preaching and working with some of the brethren that he was responsible for a lot of the pain that they were dealing with in their life or the loss of their loved ones. <clears throat> and so he, he had a lot of, of, of terrible things in his own past that he would have regretted after learning the truth to leave behind. Steve, exactly. Steve, what else is he going to leave behind? Before, yeah. before you move on from that, though, I, I, and, I just and yet at the time, that, I'm sorry, but I, you made a point that I had not considered before. Thinking about everything he had to give up or did give up, the fact that he had a work that he did work with Christian families that he may have persecuted before, I didn't give that some thought. I have not thought of it from that point of view. That's powerful. The pain that he had to go through. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. It's all. Oh, what happened to Jeff's signal? I think uh, your audio. Also important that it's also important that what he's giving up. Yeah, I said I'm good, but if you can't hear me, I'll just be quiet. I can hear you now. Okay. Uh, If you're not hearing me, tell me, and I'll just shut up and let you guys talk. But it's important to keep in mind that what Paul is forgetting, even the things he's now ashamed of at the time, he didn't look at these things as, as evil or negative. He thought he, he did everything with a good conscience. He thought he ought to persecute those 
uh, who are followers of Jesus. Exactly. Uh, and and the things that he had as a law, he as a Jew under the law, he was a rising star. Yes. And, and at this point, uh, there are people that are going to be reading what he's writing, hearing his teaching, who are still going to place a high value on the things that he's now saying. Yeah, sure. I was a, a very good Jew and I kept laws but as well as anybody, but that's meaningless is, is really kind of what he's saying here. And before it would have been really important to him. Remember in Galatians, he said, I advanced in the Jews religion beyond many of my own age among my countrymen. So like you said, he, he was uh, up and coming. He was somebody. And now he gives that all up. And instead of being the persecutor, he's the persecuted. Just, just to illustrate just to illustrate how much of a rising star he was, um, he, I believe it's in Acts 9, says that he went with letters from the high priest. He's on his way to Damascus. Let me see if I can catch that real quickly here. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, Saul, yet breathing, threatening, and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and asked of him letters to Damascus, unto the synagogues, that if he were, if he found any that were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So imagine a young man here who has the clout to walk into the office of the high priest, the highest official in all of Judaism, walk into the office and say, can you give me letters authorizing me to go to a foreign country and into the synagogues and, and arrest any, any Jews who are believers in Jesus. And that, that's, I mean, that's like if I walk into the office of the governor of Pennsylvania or the president of the United States and say, here, give me authority to go to some foreign country and, and seize Americans who are not doing this or that. Yeah. Hmm. We got a question yeah. in that I don't want to I don't want to read out the question live yet, but uh, it's a very good question relating exactly to what we're going to be talking about. So I'm just going to ask Wayne, hold in there for a little bit. We're going to answer your question um, and talk more about that particular uh, question you're asking. Go ahead, Scott. Well, so, we, so we've got his standing in Judaism, which had been so important to him. And now the people whose opinion mattered to him before, now they hate him. Now they want him dead. Uh, he's rejected by many of his own country. Um, He's 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 letting go of, of all like in Hebrews where it points out that the old that the old covenant was from God, but the new covenant is better. Paul's moving on to what's better. And in all of in all of this, he's got this willingness to go forward instead of backwards. And there's so many lessons that we can learn uh, from that. Let's let's use an illustration here. If you look you have a windshield in the front and you have a rearview mirror. Now, size-wise, how big is that windshield? Big. It's big. How big is the rearview mirror? Small. Well, it, it's kind of important what's behind us, but you can see it's relatively unimportant. Would anybody want to drive this car right here? You've got a <laughs> giant rearview mirror. You can see everything about where you've been, and you have a tiny little windshield. What's going to happen when you drive that car? crash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is the way many people live their lives. So many people in focusing on where they need to be going and going where they should be going, they are tied up in the past in unhealthy ways in one way or another. 
And so what we're going to be talking about is this mistake of living in the rear view mirror. And the first one that we'll talk about, and I want to ask you guys to discuss, and, and, and listeners out there, please text us at 530-507-8378. Uh, bring your comments and questions in. Uh, or if you're on the uh, uh, BibleQuest.org uh, website, you can just uh, click there and, and join us with this. Mistake number one is long for what should be left behind. Gentlemen? So you, you have Lot's wife there mentioned on screen. And the story, of course, is back in Genesis, the 19th chapter, when Sodom and Gomorrah are being destroyed and the cities around them are being destroyed also. But there's this one city, Zoar, that is not destroyed. It, Zoar means little. And Lot and his family are going to flee to that place. And, and I can imagine, apparently, Sodom was Sodom and Gomorrah with the larger cities because the other cities are spoken of as kind of the cities that belong to Sodom and Gomorrah. So I can imagine you're settled in a city, you know, Lot's wife knows where the markets are, where she likes to shop. She has her friends, maybe the bridge club or whatever. And now they're going to have to leave Sodom. And where are they going to go? Zoar, which means little. It's a small place. And maybe she's looking longingly at that life that she's become accustomed to in that worldly, immoral city of Sodom, but she doesn't want to leave it. And Maybe she had a lovely house there that was nicer than her neighbors and she was really proud of. Yeah, and now she's going to, what, live in a cave or something like that? And so the Lord said, don't look back. You've got to put this behind you. And, and we, we remember the sin that was going on there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and God's going to destroy all of that. And she looks back. And Jesus refers to that in the book of Luke. And somebody can pick it up there. And Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Don't look back. And that's not just a sign to put below the clock at the back of the auditorium. It's, <laughs> it's a principle here, this mistake of looking backwards. Uh, Israel in the wilderness. What's Israel doing uh, there at the beginning of Exodus while they're in slavery, before Moses comes? What's Israel doing? They're crying out to God. They're oppressed. They afflicted deliverance. Yeah, please, please do something. So what does God do? Sends a Moses. Yeah, he does something. And then they don't like what Moses does. Uh, they, they get to the edge of the sea and they said, oh, you should let us die back in Egypt. We're all going to die out here. He says, watch what God's going to do. He parts the sea. They go across. The Egyptian army makes a really bad uh, military maneuver there and decides to try to pursue them. God brings the waters back together. They're destroyed. And at that point, briefly, they are celebrating and rejoicing and praising God. But within days, they're what? Murmuring and complaining. And at the farther they get in time away from Egypt, what happens to their view of Egypt? At first, their references to Egypt are what? Aren't there at least graves in Egypt that we could have died there? But as time goes by, it's not just... Well, Egypt was horrible, but we could have died there as well as here. It starts being what? It's a smorgasbord. We left behind the smorgasbord. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the yeah, old country buffet. Yeah. yeah. And it was free. Yeah, yeah. right. They didn't have to pay for anything. It was always given to them. Uh, yeah. Right. And, of course, why was it free? 
Slaves? Yes. <laughs> so Not exactly free. They, they have managed to forget what was nasty about bondage and their start because everything's not falling in their lap immediately. And because there are uh, trials to be faced, they're starting to remember, oh, we had it so good. Stephen. And one thing is, I think it's really interesting in Acts chapter seven, when Stephen is preaching his sermon about Israel's history, and he describes it this way in verse 39, he says, our fathers refused to obey him, that is Moses, but thrust him aside and in their hearts, they returned to Egypt. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about that is because they were still physically in the wilderness. They didn't literally turn the caravan around and go back to Egypt. Yeah. Right. But in their hearts, they went back to Egypt. And so many times we get caught in the same kind of problem is we're physically living in the present. We can't return to the past. But in our hearts, we really want to go back to our previous way of life or think about the sins that we used to commit in a longing way and just selective memory about it. Like we've just mentioned, we only see, oh, it was so great. And I didn't have these rules and and all this. And and we forget the bondage that we were in. We forget the the negative consequences of our sin. But in our hearts, we return to Egypt, so to speak. Yeah. The good old days. You know, yeah. the, the context where Jesus mentions Lot's wife in, in Luke, Luke 17, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And he makes a comparison about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction of Jerusalem. And then he says in verse 31, in that day when Jerusalem is destroyed, this is Luke 17, 31, he that shall be on the housetop and his goods in the house let him not go down, take them away and let him that is in the back in the field, likewise, not return back. So here you've got these Jews and they see the Roman armies coming. Oh no, I've got to go get all my goods, all my material things. No, save your life, get out of there. And this is then where Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. And so what we have to do is we have to make a distinction between the eternal heavenly reward that we're looking forward to and the material things of this life, even maybe things that were not wrong in and of themselves. And our hearts cannot go back to those things. I want to watch our time here because we've got a few more points that we got to make. That's true. And let, let's, because there's some things coming up that I think we're going to get yeah, into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so we've got Israel. We'll mention this just for, as we click through. One thing that would have helped them not look back to Egypt would have been if they would have what? Looked forward forward to the promised land. All right, mistake number two. Uh, and my computer is frozen up. It's the weather. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Being overconfident with what we've done so far. Uh I think was Bruce Springsteen had the song Glory Days. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to live. Oh, this is what I did. You know, and, and, and some people will tell you uh, at length about what they did a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and spiritually, we can get pretty satisfied with what we did in the past. Comments. I was captain of my little league team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But no, spiritually, that, that's such a danger because it's amazing to me uh, Satan's ability to take even good things and twist them to get us to, to stumble. And 
it's um it, it's amazing to me that like, when we start to make a little bit of progress spiritually and then maybe for even a little while we, we were doing better spiritually we were, were growing we're, we're growing in knowledge um and then the the pitfall is we start to just dwell on all the good that we've done oh man i've just come such a long way and things are so good and and it's good to recognize those things, but when we start to dwell on them and we're looking more in the rearview mirror than we're looking through the windshield, then we can get complacent. We can get prideful. We just, we lose sight of the goal because we're, we're so busy reminiscing about, oh man. Self-satisfied. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. Let me jump in here. We, we have a comment from Lori. She says, lessons I'm learning. Number one, Look at the past with an accurate eye. Number two, accept that the present and future are far more important than the past. Number three, look at the past, present, and future from God's viewpoint. And number four, keep the far future eternity primary with regard to what I'm doing in my present. Which especially reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4. You know, I, we look not at the things that are temporary, but the things that are eternal. Thanks for that comment, Lord. You can't do that with a big rearview mirror. Right. That's right. Yeah. And one, one of the things that's amazing about that, and just I think what Lori's getting at, is just our perspective is so limited. Uh, our perspective on the present is limited. And even our own perspective of the past is limited. Uh, and we need to be focused on what's coming ahead and see things more like God see them than uh, just getting kind of shut up in our own perspective. And what do you mention a moment ago, the idea of being oversatisfied? You look at in the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3, that's what Jesus said. In your eyes, you're doing great. But the Lord says, in my eyes, you're not. First Corinthians 10, you see the Corinthians are wanting to go to idol pagan feasts and stuff. And, and they're justifying it by saying, well, we got baptized and we take the Lord's Supper. And Paul says, let him that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. So we don't need to be overconfident because, oh, I did this. The question is, but what am I doing now? All right. Uh, Drew's right. We need to be moving forward here. So let's get to this. Pressing on. One of the ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the. Does that mean I can't look back? Forgetting the things that are behind because we haven't shaded out. (laughs) Failing to forgive others. Huge way that we can spend our life wasting time in the past. And, And particularly, oftentimes when people have hurt us, sometimes they did it intentionally. Sometimes they did it maliciously. Sometimes they maybe wanted it to last a long time. But other times it may have been somewhat incidental or thoughtless or later they're in a different mood altogether. But because we fail to forgive them, not only are we disobeying God, we have turbocharged and eternally empowered some slight that was done to us in the past. And we make it, we give it the power to hurt us over and over and over and over throughout our future. And we can ruin our lives doing it. So you've got this passage uh, up here, Matthew chapter 18, where you have Peter asking Jesus, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him until seven times? 
And uh, Jesus says unto him, I say not unto you until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So obviously Jesus is saying you need to be more forgiving than what you're thinking. And then he tells this parable. Um, Stephen, I think maybe were you going to take us through this parable here? Uh, Sure, I'd be happy to do that. In Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21, after what you just read, we'll start in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And uh, we've tried to do the calculations on that before. And it's something in like the millions or maybe even billions of dollars. It's this intentionally astronomical amount that like you can right. never work this off. One of the points of it is that it's impossible for this man to pay it. It, it right. could be done. And verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That's just incredible to believe that like, here's this master. How incredible is that mercy that just. It's unpayable. He's saying he's going to pay it, but he can't pay this. It's unearned. And, it's a free gift. Yeah. And then verse 28 is what happened, the point of the parable. He turns around, verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which a denarius was a day's wage. So we'd be talking about several thousand dollars. It's no like tiny thing, but still in comparison to what he's just been forgiven, uh, it's nothing. So he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So he's kind of not treating his fellow servant the way he himself had been treated by his Lord. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is uh, there's even more reason for him to, Look with pity on his fellow servant because they're in the same position. Yeah. Uh, the Lord, uh, the master here um, is being extra generous because he's forgiving his his own servant. And this is a tiny scale. It, it doesn't begin to touch what you have here in parable. But let's just suppose that the bank called and said, you know, we decided this. We're just going to pay off your mortgage. Well, hey, You're one of our favorite customers. Yeah. We're we're sending you the deed. It's it's done. You don't owe another penny. Free and clear. Thanks for being a great customer. Why are you doing it? We just want to do it to be nice. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And then I walk out and and Stephen owes me $20. Where's that $20? (laughs) There should should be a desire to extend this wonderful good news of grace to the people. But we can be really, really selfish with it, want it for ourselves, but not for others. Failing to forgive, failing to forgive others. This this parable goes on and and makes the point then that we need to be forgiving others as as God forgives us. Just to jump down to the end, at verse 35, if, if we don't, he says, so shall my heavenly father do unto you if you forgive not everyone his brother from your hearts. In in. And did we, did well, we read what happened to the, the Lord's prayer? Forgive us our... No, we didn't. No, we didn't. But that would be going back. No, okay, go ahead. Let's go back and do that. <laughs> well, the other servants 
see what he did. So they're really sad about it. They come tell the master. The master calls him in and says, you wicked servant. I forgive you all that debt because you besought me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow servant, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord is angry, delivers him to the tormentors until he will come up with the money. Guess what? If you are if you are a poor servant and you owe millions and millions and millions of dollars and they're going to beat you until you come up with the money, you're going to keep getting beaten. Uh, and so the this is also interesting. The mercy that had been given him is taken back. Because mm. why? Because he shows similar mercy to someone else. So there's a connection being made between how God treats us and how we should treat others. We see it in the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, when when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. God, forgive us as we forgive others. Or the the other way around, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, forgiving each other even as God also in Christ forgave you. So we're supposed to do what this servant didn't do. We're supposed to learn from the example of God's charitable forgiveness and do likewise. Right. Yeah, we've got a couple Stephen of comments a comment here. here. Allison raised her hand. Go ahead, Stephen. Well, we got a couple of comments here on our Facebook live video. Uh, Jack Nunn quotes, uh, he says, Matthew 6, 15. Um, if you don't forgive others, your father won't forgive you. Right. Uh, and that's exactly what Jesus said after teaching them to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And isn't that amazing? What if God only ever forgave us like we've forgiven other people? We, we've got and another that's question. Saying. That's that Matthew 7, with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. Uh, judgment was without mercy to those that show no mercy. James 2. That's so powerful lesson for us here. Allison had a point. Does anybody see And this is going to be writing. We've got another. My connection, may, you may not. Okay, so we got another question in the Q and A. You not? Am I not here? Yeah, you're there. Okay, we got a question in the Q and A that's going to lead right into your next point, Scott. Well, um, hang on. Before we move on from that, we have two other comments. Here's the question. Book video, real quick. Um, one is from Brienne, my wife. Uh, it says, "When we are having trouble forgiving, we usually are also failing to have true humility." and gratitude for God's forgiveness to us. And Jane Bragwell just commented, interesting point, how quickly the servant forgot the enormity of the mercy he received. Yeah. So on that point, and now let's get to this other comment, which leads into our next point. Okay. In the Q and A, and actually uh, it's going to be your number number five, not your number four. So we may want to do this. But I think it's important. Let's let's jump. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. Let's jump down to that. Jeff, did you did your connection freeze again? Jeff is frozen. Yeah, it's that well, snow. So he says, I'm a divorce. It may have. That's Oh, okay. He's a little behind us. Uh, I, think you're, I think you're live again, Jeff. All right. The, call, the, the viewer says, I'm, I'm a divorced. <laughs> That's the rooster. You know, I did not tell the audience about the rooster. I was hoping the rooster stayed quiet. I was hoping so, too. We have a, they have quite a farm at Jeff's house, and one rooster had frozen feet. And so, he's <laughs> so the rooster's in the kitchen. But anyway, <laughs> That's where I keep my roosters. 
Okay, I, I could try to talk over the rooster. The, the viewer says, I'm a divorced man for almost six years. I'm struggling with guilt on my part for the breaking up of my family. I, I just think about if you had broken up your family, how much guilt you would feel. Here's what this, this fellow is saying. I'm struggling with that guilt. I just can't forgive myself and move on. I struggle with the feeling of wanting to repair the damage that was done, but I don't think it's possible. Well, sometimes it's not possible to undo what you've done. And we can talk about scenarios like that. His question is, how do I go forward and how can I be happy again with myself and with someone else again? Get that? Yeah, we got that. You came in on that one. All right. So then going to number five here, failing to forgive ourselves. That's that's exactly, you know, just to just start out with this observation. If God can forgive me, who am I to not be able to do so? I understand the point this man's making. Uh, But you look at David and everything that David had done, how his he had committed adultery. He killed a woman's husband. Uh, He can't undo that. He can't go back and fix that. And there were consequences. There were consequences the rest of his life. And yet, what does David write in Psalm 32? He says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So first of all, let me make sure there's no deceit in me now that I am faithfully doing everything I can to serve the Lord. But if the Lord forgives me for what's behind, let me get my eyes out of that rearview mirror. What about Paul himself? Think, think about David. Back to your uh, reference to David. All the child that he was going to have from Bathsheba, all during the time, right? This mm-hmm. child was sick and dying, and he mourned while the child was still alive. And he fasted, didn't he? He fasted. He he wore sackcloth all during this time. Hoping Um, to influence the Lord's decision. Yeah, because of the pain of what he did that this little infant was was experiencing the results of that. That, I mean, it's bringing tears to my eyes thinking about that. And then what happened when the child died? David knew it was time to move on. He moved on, and his and his and his uh, his court said, "What's wrong with David? He was he was mourning and everything else while the child's alive, but now the child's dead, and he's now moving on." Satan can win if, when we're in sin, he can get us to not feel sorry about it. If, when we're in sin, he can get us to be callous and not feel sorry about it, then we'll keep sinning. If we have godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to salvation, he can flip it and get us to hold on to that guilt and, and have what Second Corinthians 2 calls over much sorrow. The purpose of sorrow and guilt is to get us to change our behavior. Uh, in, in Acts 2, when the people found out they had crucified Messiah, they felt what? Cut to the heart. Then they repented, were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. And at the end of the chapter, we see them in gladness of heart. Yep, yep. So the, this- uh, the rich young ruler doesn't repent, so he goes away sorrowful. But the Ethiopian eunuch goes on his way rejoicing. So this- but if, if we're not careful, and Paul mentions this in Second Corinthians 2, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. Go ahead, Stephen. 
Well, Jeff's about to say something, and I've got something. I was just going to say, this viewer, I, you know, if, if you destroyed your family and, and even if you'd caused your children to go astray, whatever, you, you think about those people who crucified Jesus. What if you had crucified Jesus? Could, could, you, could, could you expect to forgive yourself? God forgives them. Saul, and, and think of the people when he was persecuting Christians that he had deterred from serving God faithfully because they were afraid they'd be persecuted. And Saul could look back at that when he's the Apostle Paul and say, I can't fix that. But what he could do was look forward. And he could look forward and say, what can I do now to serve the Lord? There's a key word here that we've been leaving out. And that is the word choice. I can choose to look back because I've done some horrible things also, as we all have. And I can choose to look back at all the pain and horror that I brought to people's lives. But if God's forgiven me and I'm confident he has, was he promised it, then I can forgive myself. Yeah. You're going to forget it. It's going to be tough to forget, but I can choose to look forward. And it's, it's the choice of will of mine. Stephen. A couple of things. One is Lori Wiesecker, a comment in the chat window here. It seems like David used the opportunity to be in heaven with his child as a motivation to serve God. Would you agree? I'm inclined to agree with what David said there um, in Second Samuel 11, I believe, or 12, uh, where I cannot go to, I can go to him, but he cannot come to me. Um, and there is that idea of a, he ends his morning because he's, he's pressing forward. He can, he can see his child again in the future, um, but the child can't come back to him in the present. Um, so I would, I would agree with that. And that's, I think an example of that pr pressing forward. I also want to bring up Micah chapter seven for just a minute. Um, it's a, it's amazing that the end of Micah, the, the picture of forgiveness of God here, Micah seven, beginning in verse 18 who is a God like you, hardening iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And that last image of, of casting our sins into the depths of the sea. If you've ever been out on a boat, like on a lake or on the ocean or whatever, and you drop something overboard, it's gone. heavy, it's like, you hear that, boom, and it's like, okay, I'm never seeing that thing again. It, it's, it's gone. It's gone. And, I want to go back. You, one of you mentioned uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter yeah, 2. Yeah, yeah. But, but on, on, as you say that too, the praise from Jeremiah 31, their sins I will remember no more. No more that's right but yes true on second corinthians 2 go ahead yeah um the the one i think it was verse 7 it says uh what does it say so then on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him otherwise such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow yes now that's the part that the viewer was was referring to that we're overwhelmed by the the pain of things we've done in the past one of the things i said was it's a choice we have to we can with our free will, choose to press forward. But there's something else that I noticed in 2 Corinthians, backing up. It's talking about he's caused them sorrow as well. And, he, and Paul's asking them, that's the Corinthians, to comfort him. So another area yeah. that I can get comfort is going 
an associating with brethren who have the same beliefs and recognitions of the scriptures. For we all like sheep have gone astray. And I can get comfort of, I can get comfort from them as helping me with my past. That's right. And we've got another comment here real quick. Yeah, make, go ahead, and then we need to move pretty quick because we're coming up on time. we still got several things. Go ahead, Dean. Um, Stephen Glaus has a comment here on Facebook Live. He says, an issue we as humans have with sin is that we prescribe varying severities of our sin. If we can remember that all sin separates us from God, we can have greater confidence in our salvation in Christ Jesus. The sins of our past, whatever they might be, are forgotten, wiped clean forever. So while some sins may result in worse consequences, all sins are nullified by the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. Amen. Right. And uh, one more comment on this, and then we'll move on, is that, uh, guys, how many of you have heard people say this to you? I just don't think God could ever forgive me because I did some really horrible things. Yep. Heard that? Yep. And I think one of the things to point out, look who wrote almost half of the books in the New Testament. Yep. Saul, Paul. Yeah, a guy that tied women, bound women, and took them to prison, beat men trying to get them blasphemed and vote for disciples to be put to death. And then, of course, David in the Old Testament. All right, real quickly, let's just touch on these before we run out of time. Another mistake is holding on to bitterness. And this isn't just the bitterness of not forgiving somebody, but the bitterness, a lot of people just think they got an unlucky lot in life. You know, mm-hmm. why did my brother get the coat of many colors? Yeah. You know, let's throw him in a pit. They're just bitter about things. And you know the kind of person I'm talking about. They're miserable and they want to make everybody else around them miserable because they remember some tragedy that happened to them in life. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't fair. And that what and you 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 just you're just throwing your life away. Mm-hmm. Let's move on now down to this because while Paul says forgetting things that are behind, he means not to focus on it, not to make that what's important. But there is some benefit of looking back. For instance, can give, give us what? Humility. Mm-hmm. Titus three. Uh, go ahead, Stephen. I'll just say, and this ties in with what you're talking about. We have another uh, question here, a really comment from Caroline it says, "I think when you feel guilt, it's good in a way." Because if you didn't care, you would have something to worry about. And that That's, is part of the, our, our previous sins. Our, the guilt from that does yes. help keep us humble. Uh, as you're talking about, we can remember our previous sins and remember the forgiveness and yeah. keep us humble. It's godly sorrow over what we did that leads us to repentance, leads to salvation. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 7. We've got about a minute and a half. I'm going to click through these last, no, three minutes. I'm going to click through these last points, and then you guys discuss them at will. Uh, greater desire, gratitude, excuse me, and desire for growth. Remember, 2 Peter 1 says that people who are not growing and moving forward have forgotten the cleansing from their own old sins. Uh, there's a, an attitude of kindness to those still back behind in sin. Remember Titus 3? Remember that we also once used to be back there. Uh, and then the one thing we can do with mistakes of the past is instead of repeating them, we should what? Learn from it. Like mm-hmm. Psalm 95, don't be like your fathers were in the wilderness. And then we also have to understand consequences. Paul said, you know, if I did something illegal worthy of that, I don't, I don't object to being put to death. 
there are consequences. If I've been drunk driving, I can repent, I can be forgiven, but I'm still going to walk. I'm going to lose my license. Are there consequences to divorce? Jesus says, you know, whoever puts away his wife except for fornication, marries another, commits adultery. There are consequences in David's life. It doesn't mean we can't be forgiven, but there are consequences. And another thing, by looking at the past, it can help us gain what? Wisdom. One of the reasons children need to listen to their parents is because the parents are older. <laughs> They've seen more, done more, been through more, and in a position to help them. All right, fellas, comment, discuss any of those that you want in our last remaining time here. Yeah, I, I just want to add one more. A viewer had uh, anonymously uh, uh, typed in a question or a comment that uh, very enlightening, uh, but what what steps do you take to actually physically, that you can take physically to do these things? Well, physically, uh, on That's sin, a good question. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, physically on sin, mentally, Acts 2, repent. Physically submit and be baptized for the, forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. That's, that's one thing to, in, in getting, bring our sins to God. Steve. I would, I would say three just practical things. The first is, is prayer uh, is that we need to be bringing our situation to God. He already knows, but sometimes even just praying through that, telling God what's happened, the things that are bothering us is really helpful. I think some of the Psalms do that. Uh, the second thing, uh, sometimes even writing those things out, kind of getting it out on paper can help us deal with it, identify it. And the third is if we can find Christians that we can trust to bear one another's burdens. If you can find somebody to go to and talk through some of those things that are haunting you, sometimes talking about it is helpful. Um, it's, Brief those are, final words. We're out of time. Brief final words. Anyway. Well, uh, let me just then say anyone else that wants to further have, have the conversation, go to our yeah. website there's a there's a, a form that's confidential. You can fill out any questions or statements in the website. It'll get come into us. We can uh, respond back and start a dialogue. Uh, but then uh, I don't want to rush it off. But these are very important questions and good topic. Uh, but we do have a time frame here. But I do want to uh, Scott. Did you want to mention what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week we're going to be on uh, Acts chapter ten and Cornelius. Peter, uh, Peter lessons from Peter and Cornelius. Cool. cool. Great. All right. Thanks everyone in the audience. Let's just leave everybody with that. Which kind of life do you want to have? Yeah. Forgetting what's behind the board or living in the past. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining the show today. We look forward to seeing you next week. And for those of you in the Northeast, I hope you're enjoying the snow. <laughs> Take care. Take <laughs> Thanks, care, everybody. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks.